0: I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. Thank you for joining us on Conversations with Consequences. This week, like many of you, we have our attention fixed on China, on the brave protesters there who are confronting a totalitarian government that cares nothing for their freedom or their safety or their rights. We have asked Bill McGurn of The Wall Street Journal, a personal friend of Jimmy Lai, the billionaire Hong Kong entrepreneur, who is facing a life sentence from a Hong Kong jury for ostensible violations against the Hong Kong security law. My colleague Ashley McGuire joins me. Welcome to the show, Bill McGurn. Thank you. You wrote a beautiful piece in the Wall Street Journal this week called The Innocence of Jimmy Lai. By pleading not guilty, he's forcing Hong Kong officials to own their own lies. Uh, Bill, we've you've been on the show before and talked to us about Jimmy. He's a personal friend of yours. He's also an icon of heroism, of faith, of true, a manly kind of courage that is hard to imagine in the face of these, this terrible Chinese oppression, which takes so many forms, uh, but is especially strong uh, right now with the COVID protesters in, in China and also with the terrible um, crackdowns in Hong Kong.
1: That's right. I should say up front, Jimmy is also my godson. Mm. I, was, I was there when he received into the Catholic Church Back in 1997, his faith is really what's the stake for all this. But he's making a brave stand. Um, you know, the other thing about Jimmy, when he was arrested two years ago, his wife was texting me and uh, she said, it's so humiliating. They're putting chains and handcuffs on him. But the truth is that Jimmy chose those chains and handcuffs. He could have run away and lived like a billionaire in comfort at some of his properties overseas, whether Japan or France or London. But he chose to let them um, arrest him. You know, the parallels to, to Christ are not hard to see. You know, when he told his apostles not to fight the police and submitted. And so Jimmy submitted to make his point.
0: Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that exactly that point earlier today I was reading up on on all the latest developments which are complicated it's a complicated trial process it's complicated all the different things that he's been um, accused of and is on trial and is on trial for and he's facing life in prison we should mention right off the bat um, and I was thinking about the Christ parallel because he he is confronting the 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 complete totalitarian machine of violence that is the Communist Party with um, a complete, a, a kind of acceptance and embrace of, of, of anything that might come uh, to him personally in, in, that, in a very Christ like way.
1: Look, the, um, he's charged with all these specific things, but the larger charge, you know, the, the basic issue, they want to paint him as a Chinese trader mm-hmm. and corrupt businessman who's always undermining China. What he's really about, and thousands of people just like him in Hong Kong, they just want China to honor the promises it made to Hong Kong when it took over. I mean, they've just been breaking them for 25 years. And uh, Jimmy just would like them to honor. He's not advocating for independence for Hong Kong or Taiwan. He's always been insistent on peaceful protests. So he's not a threat. He's just saying, you know, give us what you promised. That's that's all he's asked for.
2: Bill, you write in your piece by pleading not guilty, he's forcing Hong Kong officials to own their lies. For our listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with the nuances of his case, can you elaborate a little bit on on what you mean by that? What are the broken promises uh, that they're they're not living up to that he's he and his case are, are bringing into the light?
1: Well, I just mentioned, you know, that um, Hong Kong uh, was promised all these things. The basic promise was. Hong Kong would keep a system and China would get Hong Kong, but they've eroded the system. Beijing is happy to let Hong Kong have autonomy when it agrees with Beijing. But when it doesn't, as we see in the fight over Jimmy's British lawyer, then the autonomy is not respected and Beijing makes the final call. So the first lie is that Hong Kong is autonomous. And uh, what Jimmy's done is force him, you know, to go to China, to admit China has the last word, always does. And I think he's embarrassed them. He's put the rot- whole rotten system out in the open where everyone can see it.
0: The, you mentioned that he's forcing everyone to see that China is ultimately in charge of every step of this process in a way that they had promised wasn't going to be the case. That was the agreement that they signed for at least 50 years after after uh, right. Hong Kong was delivered back to China, there would be this rule of law that would be upheld in Hong Kong. This is uh, right now, as as we record this the, this interview, um, we are waiting to see about uh, Jimmy's foreign lawyer, which you just mentioned, um, and he he elected to be defended by a, by, a, by a British lawyer. Now the same courts in Hong Kong allowed that, but now it's been kicked back up to the Chinese Communist Party, and they're going to decide if he really gets to have the lawyer of his choice, as is allowed under common law in Hong Kong. So is this this is a great example, I think, if, if you agree, Bill, of a way that he's exposing the lie of yeah, Chinese and control and of Hong Kong.
1: Also, China passed this very unpopular national security law, And the way we see it being used is uh, anything could be national security. And it basically gives them leave to do anything they want. Hong Kong actually tried to get a British lawyer to prosecute Jimmy Lai. But now they're... um, Saying he can't use one to defend himself. So it's all double standards and lies, and um, he's put it out in the open. And frankly, the Hong Kong government looks clownish, you know, um, because it's all been exposed and um, they've had to, you know, make all these cockamamie arguments. Um, and everyone knows what they say is not true. Though this.
2: Um, Your article comes at a time when we're seeing sort of at least unprecedented in recent times efforts to push back on the Chinese government um, in the wake of their really extremist approach with COVID and the lockdowns. And here, you know, three years later, people still being sealed into their apartment buildings and and people, protesters holding up blank pieces of paper as a, a protest against censorship. Do you see any glimmer of hope that, you know, this may be a moment where the Chinese regime is cracking a little bit?
1: Well, you never know. You look at Chinese history and uh, kind of student-led demonstrations, you know, have um, played an important role. So you never know what's gonna happen. That said, I think Xi Jinping is is, uh, resolute and brutal, and uh, he's not gonna make the mistake of weakness. I think he's going to strike. If you remember, in 1989, people thought the government was about to topple, and Deng Xiaoping had all these troops stuck inside a building in uh, off the square, and they just came on the square and overwhelmed uh, the students. So I don't think um, Xi Jinping is threatened quite yet, and I'll be interested to see what steps he takes. And if I had to guess... I would say they'd be ruthless and unsparing, especially because they're now challenging him. You know, the problem with China, this is a parallel to Jimmy. They believe the Communist Party is paramount and Xi Jinping has been elevated. Xi Jinping thought that he's wise and benevolent and can't be wrong. So if he's wrong about COVID, the whole rug comes out from under them. And uh, he can't admit that. And so the result is when they have protests, they don't say, gee, the Chinese people want freedom or they don't like this policy. They say, ah, the Chinese people are being manipulated by the CIA. And that's kind of the argument with Jimmy. It's foreign forces that have introduced this poison. No Chinese himself could want more freedom or criticize the party. That's their M.O.
0: Mm -hmm. And that is one of the things that Jimmy is accused of, obviously, is colluding with foreign governments.
1: Uh, Yes. Yes, foreign governments and foreign sources. I think it would include foreign publications. But again, you know, they want to make it all sound like he's subverting China. All he's asking for is China to uphold its promises to Hong Kong. And, of course, China never upholds its promises. Look at the Vatican. They signed a stupid deal. They renewed it twice. Now they're complaining. You know, come on. Their name is on it. They were warned, and they went ahead anyway.
0: And in Hong Kong, the people I, I, I've heard are, um, again, demonstrating um, even though there's been tremendous crackdowns and m- many, many arrests. I mean, Jimmy is the, is the most visible and the one that hurt so much because he was so free to walk away from the whole thing.
1: Yeah, and, and that's the key. If you know Jimmy Lai, he would never walk away because he would say, if he walked away, he'd always be the rich guy that was calling for these things, freedom, and then saved himself at the end. That that's not who he is. He's a very consistent man, and also he two things. He knows one: there are thousands of people in Hong Kong, just like him, you know, not cooperating with the government, who made their stand for freedom, just by participating in a demonstration or something, and uh, they're very brave, but no one knows them. They're alone and unknown. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he hopes to shed some light on those people, too, because people at least know Jimmy, like me, and we press for his release. But if you're some Hong Kong kid who's 28 years old or something and joined a protest and is now locked up, who's advocating for you? You know, there used to be a defense fund for those people set up in part by Cardinal Zen, and uh, they prosecuted him for that. Because they don't want these people to have a real defense.
2: Yeah, that's the thing I think that's so beautiful and inspiring about Jimmy is the fact that uh, he he gives a face to this sort of anonymous citizen who's been living in fear. And again, to draw the Christ like parallels, uh, you know, the things of this world that he he walked away from to stand up for right. for the truth and for or for a higher good um it just must give you know cause the kind of ember of hope to burn in the hearts of of so many bill you, you mentioned your uh connection to jimmy and uh, especially as being his godfather can you tell us um maybe a little bit about his conversion and, and what your sense is of how his faith is holding up
1: well i don't take credit for his conversion i i happen to be there and be friends with him and I did ask him to convert once and he turned me down. And then a week later, he said he wanted Christ in his life. But I credited to his wife, he was a really strong Catholic. And uh, I think her example led him to the faith. Uh, he's not uh, being in jail for his religious beliefs, but these beliefs keep him alive, keep him going. Uh, for truth. And, uh, you know, his family suffers almost as much as he does. And his wife is a rock. She just is so strong. And uh, he couldn't do it without her. Uh, it it shows what a Catholic marriage should be, because, you know, in some ways he's in jail. He made his decision and he doesn't have to decide things. But his wife has to keep her family together and make all social decisions, and um, she does it while supporting him. Uh, she's the great unheralded force in all this.
0: I was thinking about her, and uh, I was thinking about actually St. Thomas More and his wife, and how his wife begged him to 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 leave, you know, to to not keep standing up for the truth and leave the, you know, and be able to leave the tower. And I was thinking that his. Uh, Jimmy's wife has done the exact opposite. You know, she's taken the reins of his life, the reins of the life that he left behind and and is really, like you say, living a very difficult reality outside prison, but I'm I'm sure just as painful, if not more painful in many ways.
1: Yes. um, He wouldn't have done it without Teresa's support. Um, That is vital to everything. And the way she sees it, she once told me, you know, in Jimmy's sacrifice, the Lie family finds its redemption.
0: Oh, how beautiful! The entire family, and he's yeah. and Jimmy is seventy-four years old. Um, he yeah. is he is uh, in a in a that's a delicate age for any man, but a person right. in prison where, uh, I imagine, conditions are not are not ideal, and maybe he's not getting the medical care that he might need. And then he's facing life in prison with all that with all the anxiety that that brings. He's he's in a terrible position. Is Jimmy?
1: Yeah, I would say that the Hong Kong jail is probably okay. I mean, certainly it's better than the Chinese jail in China, which um, he's threatened with. Um, But he's at peace in in prison. He's the only one like the Chinese government, the Hong Kong government, the lawyers, the prosecution. They're all upset and outraged. Jimmy's at peace with what he's done. Because what he's done is right. Mm -hmm. So he lives a kind of peaceful life in that prison. Um, Because he's, you know, I mentioned in my article that um, uh, Nathan Sharansky, who was put in jail in the Soviet Union for treason, uh, also accused of cooperating with the CIA, um, you know, and later wrote a book about it and won the Nobel Prize. He said when he got into prison, He knew he had to make a choice. If he concentrated on physical survival, the KGB would win. And so he concentrated on living uh, a just life, living um, according to his principles. And that way, whatever happened to his body, they couldn't kill him. And it primarily means never, ever giving in to the lie, living in truth refusing to play by your captor's rules. And that's what Jimmy has done. And, uh, you know, they don't know what to do with him. Um, in many ways, they don't know what to do with Cardinal Zen either. He's just been convicted. Now, the uh, the uh, punishment was only a fine. The question is whether they um, uh, go after him for more serious charges. He's 90 years old. He would love to go to prison. Cardinal Zen would consider it an honor. He would say... Uh, my flock is in prison. It makes, me, make it makes it easier for me to be their pastor. So the, 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 the authorities don't know what to do with a guy like that, who's willing they don't know what to do with people who are willing to suffer for their release. Mm.
2: You, you mentioned in your piece that uh, that he may be a candidate for a Nobel Prize. Do you think right. the committee has the courage to, to do that to China?
1: Well, they did it once before. Um, uh, you know, I have no special insight to the Nobel Committee, but I I, I hear that a bunch of professors, um, oh, one in Princeton named Harry Link, they're going to nominate him. Some other people might nominate him. I think he's been nominated before by a legislator from Europe, Um because he has the more credibility that it, everyone else lacks, and the the way if China wants it more that he doesn't get it, they should let him go. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> that's that's true, that's right? The They're creating class. China's creating a martyr that that right. would that that could be a flashpoint, a lightning rod for all sorts of protest right. and and people being brave like Jimmy.
1: Yes, exactly. Because the more they do, the brighter his moral credibility shines.
2: You know this sto- his story reminds me of the story of uh, Armando Valladares, uh, the Cuban prisoner right. of conscience, and how uh, during the Cuban Revolution, the um, those who resisted were taken out to the firing squad, and their last words were "Viva Cristo Rey," and they had to muzzle them because their their credo de at death was just inspiring more right more martyrs and so you know you're you're absolutely right that um you know the the harder they crack down on him it you know there's only a limited number of outcomes for china on this front um but you know it's 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 only going to embolden more people i would think to to stand up for the
3: truth
1: there's nothing more persuasive than a good model a man of principle and that's what he is. With all his human frailties, he he ha- says, I have these beliefs, I've advocated for them, and now I'm willing to pay the price. Along with my brothers and sisters who are less well-known, who are also paying the price. So, um, you know, you can't help but being inspired, you know. And people like me, you know, like all I can do is write articles and pray for them. You know, I it feels... Very frustrating. There's very little I can do. I, you know, I kind of feel like the little drummer boy. That's all I got. But that's all I got. I'm going to use what I got.
0: Bill, you and I both have treasures from China. I, I can mention that on the air as you, you've written about I, it publicly. Um, you have three daughters, I think, from China, and I have one. And right. one, well, I, when I anything that I read about Chinese oppression and the suffering of the people of China, I feel that it it strikes me a little deeper, because I I love the people so much because I have one of them in my home, and she's the object of so much care for us and so much tenderness. Um, and I wonder if you also have that kind of spiritual connection to the people of China
1: yes we do we follow things very closely unfortunately uh well I'll give you a story when we got my last order about um 19 years ago we went through hong kong saw all our friends and one was jimmy his wife another was martin lee the founder of the democratic Party. Uh-huh. uh young Wai hong uh an associate of Jimmy's who has escaped Hong Kong since, or else he would be in jail too. And a lady named Audrey Donthorn, who is a legend. She was born in China to uh, Anglican missionaries, converted to Catholicism, and then became a de facto link between the church and um, Catholics in China for many, many decades. And at this lunch. They were all saying how they couldn't go into China. And since uh, Julie and I, my wife and I, had just come from China, I said, I joked that I must be the spy because it let me in, right? Mm -hmm. I was a foreigner. Well, recently, we went to Taiwan uh, for the wedding of Jimmy's son. And uh, I came back to the U.S. because I knew I couldn't go to Hong Kong. I didn't want my presence to be an excuse to um, add charges against Jimmy, you know, um, where they point to me and say, see, he's still doing it. So I flew back from Taiwan, but my wife and oldest daughter, Grace, they went to Hong Kong. So I they were hoping to visit Teresa Lai and uh, even visit Jimmy. And Teresa put their names down for a prison visit and was improved. So we didn't think there'd be any problem. They're not involved in politics or anything. So um, I got to my house about midnight from after a you know 16 hour flight from, uh, from Taiwan. When I got in the door, I got a message from my daughter. Um, they were at the Hong Kong airport. It's about noon Hong Kong time. And they had just arrived from Taiwan and they were detained by authorities there and no. interrogated. Um, and um, it was really scary. Uh, I called the consulate. They they monitored the situation. And uh, after four or five hours, they let them go. Um, they said you could come in here, but my wife wisely decided that if she then tried to meet with Teresa or Cardinal Zen, the police might swoop down, get them in trouble. So she told them, I no longer feel welcome, and they flew back to, um, to Taiwan. So the long and short of it, I've been going back and forth to China uh, for 40 years, and I've gone to places, you know, that the government wouldn't be happy, like Tibet, to report on. But uh, I've, I've never felt this uh, fear that I have now um you know it feels like a police state in Hong Kong and you know I just realized none of my family can go back to Han- to Hong Kong or China while Xi Jinping is in charge it just is too dangerous
0: we we have to, we only have a couple minutes left Bill but I wanted to ask you I've been re- hearing reports about um Apple, the big company, shutting down uh, the airdrop feature so th- people can communicate, so being in collusion or helping the, the Chinese government. And I've also not been impressed with the kind of, co- with uh, the coverage of the, the general media uh, over things happening in China and in Hong Kong. Do you think that here in the United States, there's a willful blindness towards uh, the oppression in China and in Hong Kong? Um,
1: I'm not sure I would go that far, You know, it's hard to get the real story in China. I think we're naive, Mm -hmm. you know, we trust them. Um, I mean, I look more at official things. Like if, you know, if I were heading the government, the response I would like to see is not just to issue a strongly worded statement on things like Jimmy Lai, but to build up our military, to give Taiwan what they need to defend themselves Um, to build up our security here at home, Um, and I think to support our friends in the region by giving them, um, you know, protecting their trade Mm -hmm. and so forth, giving them alternatives to China. And we're not doing any of that, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the, The Biden administration started off well, oddly enough. They came up with the submarine deal with England and Australia, you know, for the region, and we need a lot more things like that and a lot not a little because um, that's the only thing that gives us credibility we can stomp our feet and shout but unless we can back it up um they won't respect us
0: well i i think we can pray for that bill and and we will join you certainly and our listeners too i know in praying for jimmy for a good outcome for him or at least for all the grace that God can give him to to complete That's this right. complete this process and this martyrdom that he's so gracefully embraced. So thank you so much, Bill, for thank giving you. us this uh, this wonderful update and and we join you in your prayers. Thank you. Welcome back to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. We're going to be talking today, a pro-life warrior that is doing great things for women in need in the state of Pennsylvania. Her name is Marie Joseph, and she runs two pro-life pregnancy centers in the state. Welcome to the show, Marie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We really wanted to drill down on the importance of these centers, what they mean, the good that they are doing, the, the danger that they're in and how central they are to the, the whole pro-life movement. And you, of course, are an expert. You have been working uh, with the Pro-Life Pregnancy Centers in Pennsylvania since 2009. And you have something called the Legacy of Life Foundation that we wanted you to tell us about.
3: Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, they're so, so important right now as a woman is facing an unplanned pregnancy, being able to give her real choice, right? Being able to help her to, to see the value of her own life and and really, what her options are, and the truth about them, right? Because because she doesn't, they don't always know the truth about the decision they're making. And what
0: is the Legacy of Life Foundation?
3: So we're operating centers for women, and um, when they're facing an unplanned pregnancy, we're providing a safe space for her to receive a free pregnancy test, counseling on her options, and ultrasound, which is really important for her decision. So in the state of Pennsylvania, there is it's not abortion on demand. It, a woman is to have an abortion information session mandated by the state, and then she is to um, be able to be counseled so that she has informed consent. And so she's supposed to be given all the the specific information about the abortion procedure and uh, what the effects could be to her physically, emotionally, psychologically, and then presented with adoption as an option and also that there are resources available and counseled in that area as well as parenting that there are resources available and counsel to make sure that she fully understands what she is about to do. And we know that women are not receiving that when they go to the abortion clinic. So the first step that we're doing is providing that free information and a really amazing experience of of love and mercy and good information. And we're finding that there's so many women that have even had abortions already who have never had that, the the information they have a right to. Hmm.
0: So the state uh, mandates that this this kind of counseling should be taking place, but in your opinion and your experience, it's not happening reliably in in, exactly. in abortion clinics.
3: Exactly, that it's a very quick process. They're asked, um, "So you want to have an abortion? Why? I don't have enough money. Okay, that's a good reason. Have you thought about adoption? No." Um, and we find so many women don't really fully understand the beauty of adoption and creating a beautiful adoption plan for your child. Their mindset is that it's similar to foster care and many women have had bad experiences in that area. So, so they don't really have the right information. They're not being given the time and the right information about what that choice even is. Same thing with keeping the baby parenting. A beautiful option that they're just, uh, you know, I don't have enough money. I, you know, they're not telling anybody. So they're, the women are on the run. And so they're really taking advantage of the women that are coming to the clinics. And that's what we hear from the women that we get to minister to. They'll say, uh, "I had an abortion six months ago, a year ago. I was never told this information." So a lot of times we're receiving a woman who's still in trauma from a, from a previous abortion and then realizing that she's experiencing, you know so many challenges emotionally, psychologically, She's she's connecting the dots in our center with us.
0: Hmm. You know, it makes so so much sense from the from the perspective of the abortion clinic. I mean, what they're selling—they have exactly one uh, product, right? That they're selling on their menu. Absolutely, they're selling abortion, and they're that's their profit uh, motive. That's where they get all their money. So, why are they going to help a woman? Um, understand that she has other choices be, be, uh, beyond abortion. Absolutely, and you know what?
3: When I first started doing this, I remember thinking to myself, "Wow, I could have sold this woman abortion so easily today." Because as soon as she heard that we could help her that that there was that there was health insurance available for free, she she said, "Oh, that's why I was going to have the abortion." Then she said, "I'll definitely want to keep my baby." So there were so many, uh, so many. Evident signs that, that, that they're taking advantage of women.
0: Where I live in Miami, we have many people who are undocumented. And one thing that I know that uh, is a wonderful bit of news that women who come to our pregnancy centers here, here, Uh, from the from the counselors is that they can give birth in a hospital in miami and not have to pay up front or even pay if they they're not able even though they don't have insurance like that's that is something that you know we as a very generous state and a generous country we we take care of women who need to go give birth (laughs) and we you know you don't have to give birth in the closet or on the street there's so many
3: resources Mm -hmm. that are made available whether it's government resources or meant the many 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 nonprofits that we all collab we collaborate with and and also the funding at the legacy of life foundation that's what it goes for of so many housing is a huge issue right now and uh and so so many women they don't even have the resources for or, or the the family or someone in their life who could sit down and say, let's make a plan. Let's make a budget. Let's look at what you what you do have. And then let's fill in the gap. We also the next step of what we do, obviously, the ultrasound is really important because the women get to see that it really is a baby. So that's part of the information session. But then advocating for them, being family where there is no family and making that plan. And a woman then realizes, wow, I didn't really think this through but I could do it and if we help them with one of the things we help with is rent. You know, if, if we're if we're if we're working with a woman and, and she's made a commitment, and she wants to choose life, then we could help with the first. Sometimes they just don't have that pot of dollars to be able to put down for the for the security deposit. And for somebody to just be, a ne- you know, someone who could actually assist so that they could get through that the beginning of their difficult plan, you know, as someone who could then fund that, you know, for them or help them find a job or help them find the fu- the child care and assist with those early
0: months when they're trying to make it work. So at the Legacy of Life Foundation, it sounds like you take a really holistic approach to to the woman mm. and all her different levels of need. That's
3: exactly what we do. So we're coming in, providing first the material help, and then we're also helping to help her make sure that she understands she has gifts and talents and discovering what those are. So we have a three-year program after a woman chooses life. It's called the STAR program, and it's it's self-transformation and renewal, spiritual transformation and renewal, and We are then going to walk with a woman and be family where there is no family, create community for her. It's five points to the star. Family, community, discovering gifts and talents, um, building self-esteem, and then goal setting. And that's what the program is. And that's the transformational part. So our mission is to save lives and transform families. And so it's not just about, yes, you know, she, she chooses life. And, and until that baby is delivered, there's some really serious advocacy that we need to do. But then afterwards, we're continuing to help her to be sustaining in her life and become whole and complete body, mind and spirit.
0: That really puts a lie to that uh, pro-abortion talking mm. talking point that uh, pro lifers only care about babies until the moment of they're born right amen to that amen to that do you think that you are um, your foundation is unique in the united states or or do you know of uh, of a grassroots uh, movement across the united states trying to fill in all these gaps for for poor women and families
3: i do believe our approach is unique however i have heard of other groups that are taking similar approaches And what's so beautiful about this movement is that we're all unique and are in in a different way right so we all have charisms Mm -hmm. and and so it's beautiful to see and i believe the spirits behind us uh the the charisms are all depending on on the area that we feel like we want to provide and so i think that there's there are other groups and i think our specific charism is being able to have that unique opportunity to speak to a woman when she still believes that she has to have an abortion with love and mercy and no judgment so that she and speak to somebody without thinking that that there's an agenda you know that she's because she's fully we found that she'll be fully free to choose life if she's able to speak the truth about what's in her heart and sometimes because she's on the run and she's feeling shame and guilt about this pregnancy she's not thinking it through and so having that opportunity is really a unique part and, and then the transformational part I think we're really focusing on on her becoming fully alive as a woman and so, so helping her I'll give you an example we had a woman um, named Terry who came in and she was living in a homeless shelter and then and, you know, we discovered that this, this girl was really smart. She had been to college, but she didn't have the life skills to stay in college. And so she failed out. But she came to our, our center and we helped her get a job at, at, at the supermarket. And she, she learned how to bake at our center because we have cooking classes. And, and then she realized she loves baking. And so she got promoted to the bakery department. <laughs> and then she called me and said, I want to, can you help me do a business plan? Because I'd like to open my own bakery. I mean, it was like she. She started dreaming about a future that she never even knew that she could possibly imagine. So, so those are the kinds of things that we're doing with
0: women to help them really transform. How beautiful Maria and it sounds like women who choose life already have that big beautiful achievement under their belt and it and it opens mm. up for them better bigger horizons, right like they already feel proud of themselves
3: exactly and then and then the other thing is really love, you know because so many women they don't think they could be good mothers and that's why they haven't had great experience with motherhood in their own lives maybe and so they don't think that they have but with our help and being coming alongside them, they realize that. Once they have the baby, right? The shame and the guilt when the, about how they became pregnant, but once they deliver the baby, they start experiencing the unconditional love that God had planned before the world began. For this mm-hmm. woman to receive this love, she says I never knew love like this until this baby. And now this baby is is everything. This baby is what's moving. I've seen I've seen drug addicts become clean because of this baby. I've seen families reunited because of this baby. I mean, God has such an incredible beautiful plan. And it's our joy to come alongside, be able to bring that to life.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Conversations with Consequences. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and we're talking to a pro-life warrior doing amazing work in the state of Pennsylvania for mothers in need. Her name is Marie Joseph of the Legacy of Life Foundation. Marie, where in the world do you come up with the funds for something that sounds very complicated and expensive?
3: <laughs> Thank you, Gracie. That's a great Question: I'm so glad you asked. I would have to say the most beautiful, blessed, generous people on the face of this earth are uh, donors of the Legacy Life Foundation, and I'm so so proud to say and excited for our donors who make this happen. And it really is just individual donors. I mean, there's no there's no government funding at this time. We don't have grants, and um and we've grown. We grew so so fast. I mean, just to give you an idea when we. Started Started, There were about 25 women who chose life. And then our numbers are now between 350 and 400 a year and um, 3,285 lives have been saved. Um, that were going to be aborted and women who have been able to transform and so we grew so fast and it has just been individual people who feel moved by the grace of God to make a gift for life and so that's that's really how we've been just telling the story Uh, we don't even do a whole lot of fundraising events, we just tell the story I speak all over Um, we do a lot of parish work so we come into a parish and we partner with a parish and Uh, the Catholic churches that are so incredibly generous to allow us to commit, speak for a weekend, um, and people make a gift, but we also then partner and share and report back and give the stories on life. Before
0: we go, I want you to tell our listeners where they can can contribute and they can go online and and read about your beautiful work. But we're going to have to help women and families to keep
3: their to be able to have their babies. Um, And so we believe we're going to have to open more centers and we're going to have to have more services. And, uh, and so I'm really encouraging everybody, especially all good Catholics to really um, pray hard about this, about what else they can do, because we really do have to, as Catholics have always done, this is the issue of our time. We've always found a way to be able to provide services for people in need. And this is the biggest one of our time.
0: Wow, I can't agree with you more, Marie. Where can people who are listening, or this, where can they go and read about the the Legacy of Life Foundation and how they can help out? Yes, thank you so
3: much. They would go to legacyoflifefoundation.org. The website is the best place to go, www.legacyoflifefoundation.org. Dot org, and um, you know we're on social media too—Facebook, Instagram. But if they go directly to the website, uh, people can make a gift right now. They can make it there, and they can also find out more information on how to get involved. We have a prayer chain that goes out every night, Gracie, and it goes. Um, every day because because this whole ministry, this whole mission is led first and foremost by prayer and by the Lord. And uh, we have mass at the center. We have a tabernacle there. We have Jesus in the Eucharist there. Um, but every night we send an email out our staff of every single woman who came in seeking an abortion that day and to pray for them. And I have good, I have so many families that print that out every night and get on their knees and pray for these women. And then every time someone chooses to keep their baby, we also report that in on that email that goes out every night. So if they go to the website, they could look for how to take action. There's a tab there, and they can choose to be uh, receive those prayer emails every night.
0: Oh, thank you, Marie. I think I'm going to have to sign up for those. I can't think of anything better to do before I go to bed than to pray for <laughs> to, to pray for a baby in danger and, and a mother in danger of breaking her heart. So thank you so much, Marie, for joining us. And we'll, Thank you so much. We'll continue thank you to for pray for us. all your good work, and may God continue to bless it. From all of us here on Conversations with Consequences, our best wishes go out to you on this beautiful 4th of July weekend. Happy Independence Day from the Catholic Association. Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. And now, Father Roger Landry offers us, as is customary, a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel.
4: This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a joy to have a chance to ponder with you. The consequential conversation God wants to have with us this Sunday. As the church leads us on pilgrimage to the Jordan River, she does it every second Sunday of Advent, so that we might enroll in the school of St. John the Baptist, hear his message, and put it into action. At first glance, it seems like a strange choice to meet John at the Jordan, 30 years after Christ's birth, millennia before his second coming. But the reason why the church always visits John at the Jordan is because he was the one chosen by God the Father from all eternity to get his people ready to receive his son, who was already walking toward the Jordan to inaugurate his public ministry. Advent literally means coming toward, and in it we ourselves are called to prepare for Christ coming toward us in the past 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. In the future, with power and great glory in the clouds of heaven, and in the present, in his word, in the Eucharist, and in grace. The preparatory work announced by John is the way we're called to get ourselves ready to receive the Lord who is coming. What's that work? When we meet John at the Jordan, he blares, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way way of the Lord, make his path straight. In the ancient world, the roads were a mess. Every time there was a battle, the roads would be attacked and bridges destroyed to try to stop the advance of the enemy. The weather took its toll as well, leading to all types of serious potholes and other obstacles. Any time a dignitary would be coming, they'd either have to fix the roads or build new ones so that the rolling caravan accompanying him could arrive without delay and without hassle. John the Baptist is telling us that to get ready for the Lord who is coming this Advent, we too need to prepare a way for him. We too need to make straight the paths. the ancient world, preparing such a path meant a great deal of manual work, making straight crooked paths, making smooth, rough ways, and even charting paths through mountains and valleys. For us, that pathway will not be traced on the ground, but in the sometimes hardened terrain of our heart. It will not be made in the wilderness, but in our day-to-day environments. The work is not something that will make our hands dirty, but our souls clean. Which John the Baptist is calling us to is the work of conversion. To preach conversion is the mission of the baptist which is why we encounter him every advent because in advent this message must be preached, and conversion must, must be practiced the reason is because jesus has come into the world to save us from our sins and from what our sins lead to death that's why john the baptist message is such a gift His whole vocation and mission was to deliver this message before he was conceived the archangel gabriel said to his father zechariah he will turn the hearts of many of the people of israel to the lord their god With the spirit and power of Elijah will go before the Lord to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make a people prepared for the Lord. Nine months later at his birth, Zechariah exclaimed, You, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way to give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. When John the Baptist arrived at the Jordan 30 years later, he fulfilled those prophecies, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of their sins. John's first words at the Jordan were repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And those were the identical words Jesus himself would use to inaugurate his public ministry a year later after his 40-day retreat in the desert. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The Lord is coming for us in Advent, but for him to reach his destination, we have to convert. To make straight the paths of the Lord means to clear the path of sin, which is the major obstacle for the Lord to come into our life. Quoting the prophet Isaiah, John the Baptist says, Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, every crooked way shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth. We have to call these topographical formations by their proper names. We have to make low the mountains of our pride and egocentrism, to fill in the valleys that come from a shallow prayer life and minimalistic way of living our faith, to straighten out whatever crooked paths we've been walking. If we've been involved in some secret sins or a sinful relationship, the Lord calls us through the Baptist to end it. If we've been involved in some dishonest practices at work or home, we're called to straighten them out and do restitution. If we've been harboring grudges or hatred or failing to reconcile with others, now is the time to clear away all the debris. If we've been pushing God off the side of the road, if we've been saying to him we don't really have time for him, now is the time to get our priorities straight. This Advent, which is a real gift of the Lord to us and who knows may be our last, will succeed or fail on the basis of how well we convert and clear our lives of sin, so that the Lord may come. There's a reason why John the Baptist preached at the Jordan. It was more than a source of water where he could baptize. The Jordan was the place that represented the border between the desert, where the Jews wandered aimlessly for 38 years after centuries of slavery in Egypt, and the Promised Land. By preaching his message there, John was inviting the Jews of his day to come out of the bondage of slavery, to leave their faults and wandering sinful lives behind, and enter into the promised land full of God's blessing. The Baptist preaches the same thing to us this Sunday. He points us to a new exodus, from death to life, from sin to sanctity, states very clearly that the path from the desert into the new promised land is conversion. In order to make that conversion possible, Jesus instituted the sacrament of confession and sent priests out to the ends of the world, not just to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations beginning from Jerusalem, but with the power to effect that forgiveness of sin. The same Christ who through his priest gives us his body and blood, through the same priest gives us his mercy. The saints have called the sacrament of confession a second baptism. which would have been brought back to the Jordan and cleansed interiorly, like on the day of our christening. The sacrament of penance, the Lord wants to heal us and help us repair the damage caused by sin to the path between us and him. Each of us needs to take him up on this offer. In the Sunday's Gospel, John the Baptist wants every one of us to know that we need that forgiveness, that we all need to repent. Scribes and the Pharisees who had come out to him there thought that there were exceptions to his call for conversion. They were going out to hear him, who had become quite a phenomenon, but they were not ready to personal repentance. They thought they didn't need it. The Baptists exposed their hypocrisy and unmitigated candor. You brood of vipers, he called them, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Don't presume to say, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up from these very stones children to Abraham. Even now the axe is at the root of the trees. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Sometimes we, like the scribes and Pharisees, can have a similar blindness to our sins and fail to see the urgent need to repent. We can say we're children of God. God loves us unconditionally, just as we are. We don't really need to change. The Baptist reminds us that God can raise up children of God from rocks and that we shouldn't let our Christian dignity become an excuse not to realize that we have to strive always to live up to that dignity, to become truly the likeness of God who is holy, holy, holy. St. John tells us that we need to bear fruit worthy of repentance. We therefore can't stay at the level of a general repentance, recognize that like everybody else, we have our faults and failings without doing anything about them. If we're truly repentant, then we must show that in action, in fruit. The fruit of repentance that God wants most is for us humbly to examine our conscience, come with sorrow to confess our sins to him through the priest, make a sincere attempt to amend our life and receive his forgiveness in the way he himself established. John the Baptist's mission was not merely to announce the need for repentance, but to point out how sins would be forgiven. He told the people, Behold, one is more powerful than I coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. Short time later, he saw that more powerful one coming to him at the Jordan and exclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John could once again don his camel here in leather belt and speak to us on Sunday. He would, I think, say, pointing to Jesus Behold the one of whom I was speaking. Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away your sins and the sins of all. His hands would point to Christ's presence in the confessional through his priest. The Lamb of God never ceases to take away our sins. This is why this message of John the Baptist is such good news and not bad. We're sinners, yes, but God comes to save us from those sins if we repent and allow him to do so. As we'll sing in the famous Advent hymn, sung across the English-speaking world this weekend. On on Jordan's bank, the Baptist cry announces that the Lord is nigh. Awake and hearken for he brings glad tidings from the King of Kings. Then cleanse be every soul from sin, make straight the way of God within, prepare we in our hearts a home where such a mighty guest may come. That's the work of St. John the Baptist. May we heed and follow that summons. God bless you.
0: Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for a smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. Thank you, Father Landry. To hear more from Father Landry, check out his website at catholicpreaching.com. And you can also catch his writings at EWTN's own National Catholic Register. A big thank you to all our listeners for joining us. I hope that this show was helpful. I hope that it gave you more peace and more hope and more joy and you go with our prayers.